Next on BYU Sports Nation, define the BYU football on offense. What will the offensive identity be at the end of the season? New York Times bestselling author Jeff Benedict debuts his new autobiography on Steve Young, anxiety living out of a closet and winning a Super Bowl. Plus, what is the number one way BYU can immediately improve offensive production? College football analyst, national champion Blaine Fowler on that. Let's go! This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. This is live television and radio, people. BYU Sports Nation, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Tuesday, September 20th, wherever and however you're dialed in. Great to have you with us. I'm Spencer Linton, teamed up with my compadre and extreme couponer, Jerem Jordan. I don't even know if I've used a coupon in the last few years or decade. That surprises me because you're very frugal and good with money. I don't want to be frugal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, did you just call me cheap? Wait a minute. No, there is a huge difference between calling somebody cheap and frugal. Yeah. In in this digital era, extreme couponing is like laughable. It's it's amazing. (laughs) There's a show about it. There is a show about extreme couponing. Yeah, I'm not going to make time to watch that. I once got like 15 <laughs> boxes of cereal for $6 and thought that I had, uh, cool. had struck gold. Yeah. Here's, well, no, I'm not going to go there. Let's not worry about it. <laughs> you can't do that to the no. people? No. I'll share, listen, I share my opinion on a lot of things. I'm not going to share it on couponing. <laughs> no thanks. Okay. At Jerem the Couponer. I'll create a Twitter, a side Twitter account. Jerem the Couponer? No. People, Let's talk about sports. People are very excited about the prospects of Jeremy and his coupon. There's not a single person excited about that. <laughs> oh, I think Everyone's that, like, I think next. there are a few. Yeah. Knowing you and your antics, I think you get some followers, man. That's here, what I'm all about. Here are today's BYU Sports <laughs> Nation headlines. At Monday's BYU Football Press Conference, a weekly edition, Kalani Sitake said Taysom Hill is the starter at quarterback, and here is his reasoning. The worst thing you could do is, is panic and make a change on stuff that you're just seeing on the, line, on, on, on the field. Uh, when it's not actually just that one spot. There's a lot of different variables that go into it, protection, uh, routes, and the timing. So um, looking at it again, it's kind of what we thought, that, that, that it would have been a premature decision to make that decision then, and I'm glad we didn't because that's, that's why we have a great coaching staff and, and to evaluate everything. And, uh, you know, we, we have to be able to, in order for us to really evaluate everyone, everyone's got to do their part first, and when you have – uh, some some mental breakdowns along the way. It's 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 tough to blame it all on one person. Yeah, we're all having a mental breakdown watching that BYU offense through the first three games. But I I agree with Kalani Satake. It's not just Taysom Hill. It's not just on Taysom Hill. The offensive line needs to play better. The running backs need to play better. The receivers need to get open. Blah blah blah. There's a lot that goes into that. So I agree with that. In fact, Tanner Mangum tweeted the following yesterday afternoon. Quote. This is a team game. I'm 100% behind this team. No room for negativity, end quote, with a picture of he and Taysom Hill at the Utah game. Slapping hands after a touchdown from the Utah game. Here's the thing, though. Is there a quarterback controversy? The door is open. They had the conversation at halftime, uh, admittedly, and then uh, he had to declare Taysom Hill, you know, he reemphasized that, whether it was asked of him or not, um, that he's a starter. 
there's there's a leash there, right? Like, who knows how long it is? Blaine Fowler will join us. We'll talk about this. But Taysom Hill's the guy, and there needs to be production from that position and every position on offense. I'm surprised he didn't name the starters for the other positions just to be like, yes, those are up for grabs too. Everyone, you need to uh, produce to play. It's a conversation topic for sure. And also, at the NFL level, how about Paula C.K.? Had a carry for a first down for the Chicago Bears last night. Yeah. And a key block for the Bears at the goal line, springing a touchdown for the running back Jeremy Langford on Monday Night Football. How awesome is that? So, personal story real quick. So, 2009, uh, we did a couple rugby games on TV, so I got to know that team. And all my roommates were on the rugby team as well. It was so fun to get to know this this dude from New Zealand, Paul Paul Lasike, who was at BYU, and he was so cool. And he thought, yeah, he said, yeah, I'd like to play football, but I gotta figure out the ACT and whatnot. He goes on his mission to Alabama. He comes back. He plays at football. He's awesome. He's in the NFL. He's on Monday Night Football. Like, what a story! It's it's almost as good as Ziggy Ansah. You know what I mean? Like. Never played football growing up from a foreign country, so so happy. Yeah, really for fun. Paul. It was fun to hear John Gruden talk about Paul. How Lasique did that sound? Forty-seven Paul Lasique leading the. Tr- that's good foot. That's good football at the goal line, Sean. <laughs> I wanted to say Mike. I tell you what, Dorico, that is good <laughs> yeah. football at the goal line. There you go. That second time you got into it, it took just a second, but yeah, that was good. <laughs> the shift into the John Gruden. Hey, gear. women's volleyball dropped four spots in the NCAA rankings. They're number thirteen now, still uh, top fifteen. Awesome. The Cougars open up West Coast Conference play Thursday night against Santa Clara, nine Eastern time on BYU TV. BYU Women's Golf has a two-stroke lead. They're 14 over as a team after the first round of the Spartan Invitational in San Jose. Junior Kendra Dalton still good. Last I checked, she leads the way at three under par. Very nice. Woo! Rise and shout. It's time for What's Trending. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Defining the BYU football offense. Here's the thing. That definition is ever-changing right now. Understanding the identity of the current BYU offense requires a look back at the last nine months. In January, BYU established they want to control the clock and run the ball. Hey, let's huddle. Let's be more methodical. Take what the defense gives and then strike big when the defense is lulled to sleep. High-powered and exciting just the way that Jerem Jordan likes it. Yeah! Exciting (laughs) equals... Points! Here's the thing. They need an identity, and Kalani Satake knows that better than anyone. Here's what he had to say about that. Have to have stuff and find our identity on, on every phase and, and be able to have something to hang your hat on. You know? And, and um, right now, offensively, we don't have that right now. You know? So uh, when we need to get a play, um, you usually go to your go-to uh, situations type of plays and and uh, we're still trying to find that, and that's it's way too late going into game four right now. So we've we got to establish that soon and find our identity and, and go with it. Going back to basically week one of this new staff getting together, it became about establishing the run game in the pro-style offense. So that was the intended identity because it opens up everything else. No, it's not explosive, And it's not exciting per se, but it's designed to control and win games. ESPN's Trevor Maddich referenced two of the nation's most successful programs that run it and excel at it, Stanford and Alabama. Last time I checked, are those offenses really exciting to watch? Those off, Yes, because they score points. But they they win championships. Well, Alabama is way more spread than... 
power O like Stanford. So I don't necessarily agree with that completely from Trevor. Um, what they both have is dominating offensive lines, like ridiculously awesome yes. offensive lines. No question. Um, but right now, BYU's like Zoolander looking into the puddle in the street saying, who am I? That's what BYU's offense is doing right now. They need to find an identity, which brings us to today's Twitter question, Spencer. What will the identity of this BYU offense be at the end of the season? Use the hashtag BYUSN. So we're asking you to predict the future. Work in progress. Roads. We don't need any roads where we're going. At JNails21. Smash mouth football. Run right at them. They want to do that. They want to. And it worked against Arizona, right? Uh, well, mostly. They controlled the clock, but they still trailed at the end of the game. But it worked. I'm saying like they were succe- they were successful in the run game against Arizona. Oh, in the run game. Yes. 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 But they didn't turn enough points off turnovers. They didn't get enough points on the board. Yeah. So one part of that, yeah. And the, you're right. The run game is the point. The pro-style offense is dependent on your ability to create second and third downs that are manageable. Like I said yesterday, if BYU on first and second down is not successful, it's going to be hard on third down. Dink and dunk, take what the defense gives you, have third and three. Therefore, my answer to this question is efficient. BYU needs to be efficient. On first down, they need rushes of four plus. On second down, they need some first down conversions uh, so that you're not set up in a bunch of third downs and then you don't go three and out consistently like you had against UCLA. There will be... Tough situations on the road, right? BYU is going to play a quality West Virginia this week. Although the defense isn't, isn't uh, fantastic, the offense is. So they will uh, put some points on the board, I think. BYU offensively will need to bring it. Michigan State's defense, really, really good. Boise State on the road. That will be a tough game. So BYU needs to be more efficient on offense starting with the run game. Yes, and here's the thing. We, we referenced that the run game was successful against Arizona. Contrary to initial thought, and that includes me, I thought, well, it wasn't very good against Utah. It was okay. 143 yards. It was okay. Yeah, 5.3 yards a carry. Yeah. So, I mean, nothing to be like, oh, that was terrible. Now, against UCLA, it did not work. UCLA was about as bad as it gets, 23 yards. That's terrible. Which has dropped BYU significantly in the national rankings when it comes to rush yards per game, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Yeah, BYU's 107th nationally in rush yards per game. 126.3. Remember last year how we talked about BYU was 111th? It won't won't be that bad. Taysom Hill, Jamal Williams. Hey, wake up! Let's go, because if BYU can't rush the rock, guess what? You're one-dimensional. You're easy to defend. You're easy to defend. And that's what happened against UCLA. BYU got a late score to make it interesting. In the end, that game is not as close as it looks, right? Um, so BYU is in a position where they need to shake it up. And primarily, if, if I had one wish for BYU, it's not to be explosive down the field in the pass game. That's not it. Because guess what? If BYU can run the ball, then they can be explosive on offense. If you can't rush the rock, forget about it. You think anyone go- thinks that BYU's offense is a loser because they go home to Starlet Night? No one's asking this question. They need to run the rock, Spencer. Jeremy, you used the word efficiency. Two words came to my mind when I first thought about this question, and that is opportunistic and disciplined. The pro-style offense kind of lulls the defense to sleep. It just, that's the nature of it. It is 
kind of boring to watch for a long time. But then yeah, that's not a negative buzzword either. But then you run some play action and you send somebody deep over the top. And, Operative word being action, there, and you right? have an opportunity. You're opportunistic when those things present themselves. When the defense is showing, okay, maybe we can sneak one over the top for a 50-yard touchdown here, you have to be opportunistic. And so for me, that's what I am hoping BYU will become at the end of the season is disciplined, and that will grow as a team grows together through each game. You learn, you you mold the offense to what the, what the players do the best, and then you are opportunistic. And so I think that that will be a key component to Ty Detmer's offense moving forward. We have not given enough uh, attention to the offensive line here. BYU had to bring in two dudes from FCS, Southern Utah, Andrew Eide and Kean Norman, who then became starters. What is that grad transfers? Now, these are good players, right? They probably were D1 guys originally for whatever sure, reason. Yeah. Like Southern Utah. But that should tell you the depth situation with BYU. They had to bring in two FCS guys who then came in and started. This offensive line has gone up against some tough defensive lines, the BYU offense just needs to be a little bit better, and they could be 3-0. Well, keep They're in not mind, that far off. Keep in mind, this offensive line wasn't recruited initially to run the pro-style offense, so it has been a transition. Like You've had to flip the script for all of these guys. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, that's true. This is a work in progress. It's going to take a while. You have to allow the staff to recruit for a number of years to get the guys in place that they want to run the offense. Now, they have some ballers in the skill positions. I can't wait a couple of years, though. You don't want to, right? I can't, I can't wait a couple of games. I can't even wait one. <laughs> it's got to be this week. <laughs> there, therein lies the reality of being a fan, right? Up next, it's game we'll talk four. with best-selling author Jeff Benedict about his new book on Steve Young. But first, it's Uncle B, Blaine Fowler. How does BYU get better on offense? Game four. Welcome back to BYU Sports Station, sports friends. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan simulcasting on BYU Radio and BYU TV. The conversation happening right now on Twitter. Follow at BYU Sports Nation. Use the hashtag BYUSN. Check out After Further Review tonight at 7 Eastern Time as the guys break down BYU and UCLA. Gets ready for BYU and West Virginia. Is it already game four? Yeah. Isn't it crazy how long we wait? That's why I, have a, I know. We wait all year for like these 13 days. These wonderful game you, you days. You build a 65,000... Seat stadium for six home games and stadium of fire. <laughs> Crazy, right? And the freshman orientation. I right? want Toledo to be a stadium of fire offensively, <laughs> please. What will freshman the, orientation. What will the identity of this BYU offense be at the end of the season? That is our Twitter question <laughs> today. As Jaron mentioned, you can watch after further review tonight oh, yeah. for the latest and greatest featuring Uncle B, Blaine Fowler, national champion at BYU, college football analyst, and a good friend of the program. Blaine, we look forward to Tuesdays because we now get to have you weekly in studio, man. Yeah, and it's nice that I just live right over here. And this is our AFR day. So, hey, Tuesday's my day at BYU. It's awesome. Yeah, baby. Okay. Love it. Let's start with this question, my friend. Um, If you had to pick one thing that you would have BYU's offense do that you think would help them immediately, what would it be? Just a, this is a single. They, their completion percentage just needs to be higher, even if they're not getting big chunks. Um, and that's not just on the quarterback. So, so if they could get um, that completion percentage up around seventy 
right now. I know that sounds 70. That sounds crazy, right? But I think right now to get a rhythm, they're going to have to throw more really high percentage throws that may only be three or four yard gains. Um, for a period of time to start to get these quarterbacks in a rhythm, the receivers in a rhythm, the offensive line in a rhythm, to feel some success. And so you know what? Maybe they complete a ball on first down and it goes for three, and they complete a ball on second down and it goes for three, and they complete a ball on third down and it goes for three, and they punt on, on fourth and one. That's okay. Because there's some success, there's some rhythm. And then maybe the next time they complete a ball for four and then they complete a ball for five and they get a first and they start to move the chains. So, so to me, I think they just need to taste some success uh, a little bit, have a higher percentage of completions to start them into a flow that allows them to get confidence. Right now it's 58%. Uh, so yeah. even, hey, even, even 65 would be yeah. – 70 is a stretch. So I'm just throwing a big number out yeah, there. Yeah. Something but, to reach for. But, but but just the mindset being, okay, you know what? Let, let's get some throws. Let's get some catches. Let's get these receivers in the mode of catching three and four and five balls in a game. Let's get Taysom in the mode of completing two and three in a row. And and I think that eventually things will happen. It's easy. It's easier said than done. I th- I think that Ty's in the process right now of taking a look at everything that they've done and said, okay, what are the simple things that we're doing well, and let's do a little bit more of that, and let's give some rhythm things to our quarterback so that he can get some confidence. I said uh, BYU needs to be able to rush the ball to set themselves up for more success on second and third down. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the offensive line. And, and now that we look at it, we go, whoa, no Louie, no Brad Wilcox, no Kyle Johnson. Um, you had to bring in two FCS guys that started um, right away. So this offensive line is, is uh, in progress. Yeah, I- so we knew about Wilcox and we knew about Kyle Johnson, and, and that's what this staff thought they were going to have coming into the fall when they started to build what they wanted to do. Um, with that in mind, veteran guys, big, strong guys. Um, imagine my shock when I go into the hospital Saturday morning with Gavin to have his ACL reconstructed and Louie's there. I'm like, what, are, what is going on? Like, you're not playing today either? Oh, no. Because he has been a physical presence. And the other thing is, is he's a veteran guy, even though he's only a junior. And talking to Mike Empey in fall when Louie missed some practice, he was like, man, I really need to have Louie because he fixes things on the O-line, especially with these – and not necessarily young guys because Idy and, and Norman aren't young guys, but inexperienced in this offense. Even though Louie's new to the offense, he's been around enough that he fixes things. Oh, no, 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 let's go lucky call on this. Or – Oh, if he takes that guy, I'll bounce over to here. He's a monster. He's he's a big, physical, strong guy that manhandles people, and he's he's got football sense about him, so he makes good decisions out on the field. So that's a big blow. When when I found out he wasn't going to play, that was almost as big a deal as anybody not playing. And that, with the exception of maybe Jamal Williams not playing, I, I don't know that that doesn't have a bigger impact on the offense than any other player not having Louie in that game on, on Saturday because of what he brings. And so so it's hard to go out and run the ball against teams that are as good as the, the first three fronts BYU's seen, especially the last two fronts. Holy cow. Utah and UCLA are really good NFL guys along the front. So, so now they go to West Virginia. West Virginia is really skilled offensively. But they're not as physical defensively, and they're they have team speed. I feel but, like they're like Arizona. But they're they're inexperienced at linebacker. They're inexperienced at corner. So if you run it just a little bit, now maybe you can go attack the corners in the middle of the field a little bit more. UCLA's veteran at 
every position defensively. Utah are monsters in the front seven, you know, and really, really good, and very good in the back end. NFL guy at free safety, NFL guy at corner. And so I'm not saying West Virginia's not talented. They're as talented as BYU, but defensively the matchup is a little bit better for BYU than Utah or UCLA have been. Blaine Fowler with us on BYU Sports Nation. That said, what is the identity of the BYU offense right now, and what do you expect them to do against West Virginia? Yeah, I, I think that you're going to see more quick pass games successful against West Virginia than we have the last two weeks because I just don't think that their young corners are going to be good as good at press coverage and maybe not be quite as physical um, as they've seen the last couple weeks with, with the groups they've played in UCLA and Utah. So I think the quick pass game will, will be – more successful. Um, sometimes you, know, you talk about, well, you got to run the ball to set up the pass, which that's true. You, you can do that. Sometimes when you've got an inexperienced offensive line and you're having trouble moving people off, sometimes you go with a quick throw game as an extension of your run game, kind of automatic throws, quick hitches, bubble screens, things like that. Get your guys in space, and now you get the D-line and the front seven running from sideline to sideline, and now you come back and gash them with some run plays, some draws, and some plays like that. And so, so sometimes it's not the run first sets up the pass. Sometimes it's quick throw can help establish your run game. And, and that's, you know, we'll see a combination of that would be you this week against West Virginia make the case uh, for keeping Taysom Hill as the starter it's just a really interesting thing to me you guys so I come from that game and my thought on the game was man the offense just doesn't have a rhythm to it yet they're they're not having enough success on a regular basis to be confident with what they're doing I see Taysom holding the ball a little bit too long at times but I see receivers not getting off press coverage the way I'd like to see him get off coverage so his first and second aren't open I see some good pass protection followed by some bad pass protection I see some so inconsistency is what I'm seeing and my thought is so what do you do and my first thought is I really have to go look at the film because I'm not sure who it's on right now and that's guys I've been doing this for 30 something years right and the coaches say you know what we don't know that it's Taysom because we got to go look and see. We got to see how many of these plays the receiver ran the wrong route. We got to see how many times there were people standing down or diving down by his feet so he couldn't stride out and throw it when he made a bad throw. We need to take a look at that. And then if we decide that 90% of the problem with the offense or 80% is because Taysom's making bad decisions or bad throws, they would replace the quarterback. But obviously that's not what happened when they went and looked at the film. So there was culpability all around. And so they said, uh, you know what? Now that we've looked at the film, the line has to get a little bit better. The receivers have to get more separation. The backs have to run the right holes. Taysom has to make some better decisions. And so as a whole, the offense, there's not a position that's without blame. Yet the people I talk to after the game go, we just have to. They need to get Taysom out of the game, and they need to get Tanner in the game. And I'm thinking... Man, I'm glad you know that because I don't. It's this. <laughs> I don't. It's this because he's the most visible yeah, player I, on the field. It's, it's a, the easiest it, one. And to it's criticize. funny how forceful they are with that thought. That this is what the, I just watched it on TV, so I can only see the ball, <laughs> or or I was at the stadium, and and I have made the decision that they that is what they got to do. That will fix everything. I'm just. It's always it's funny to me because I'm going. I don't know that, and not only do I not know that, the coaches. Even the guys up in the booth, they have an idea, but until they actually go break it down and go, oh, gosh, why did this guy run that route at nine when he's supposed to run it at six? And, it, and then Taysom threw it to six, and it looked like Taysom didn't why know what he was doing. Why is he floating out instead of yeah. diving back? Why, why is that post-cross at 19 instead of 15? That's creating the wrong spacing out there. Why did the tackle double-team with the guard instead of stepping out, and a guy was diving at Taysom's feet? So, so they're looking through all this going, wow, there's not one position that doesn't need to have – 
um, some things done. And, but I think that they came out of it a little bit encouraged because they're like, it's just a little bit of everything, but there, there wasn't a lot of, oh, we just physically can't match up. And, and that's encouraging because if you just physically can't match up, then what do you do? Then what? Then what do you fix? Well, we just can't play with these guys. That hasn't been the case through three weeks. This is a team that has a brand new offense that's trying to learn it, and they don't have the the benefit of playing. Who did Alabama play last week? They played Ole Miss. Ole Miss. So who did they play the week before, before that? that? Was Western Kentucky? Okay, we don't get to play Western Kentucky. All right, who who did you know? There's been some big early season games. Fear and, the Hilltoppers. Yeah, but but most big time. So <laughs> Utah have had a great offense. Utah had BYU. But in between that, they had Southern Utah and San, San Jose, Jose State. Because they're working on some new concepts offensively with a new quarterback. Yes. And they weren't really good offensively against BYU. This is the bane of being an independent. Thank you, have thank to you for blowing this trumpet, Blaine, yeah. because yeah. I've been trying to scream it. Not every team's opening up against three, make it four P5. Hey, how about six? Six really good teams to start. And so you don't have the advantage of learning and winning. Because what Utah can do, they learned a ton against Southern Utah and won. If Utah played against BYU the way they played against Southern Utah, they would have lost handily. right? And so they just don't have that advantage. And we said from the beginning of the year, if BYU could be 2-2 two and two through the first four games, we would be happy. I wouldn't be. I wasn't going to be surprised by one and three. I felt like two and two was good. Three and one, I was like, oh man, now we're really onto something. They're way ahead of schedule. So, so let's see how they do back against West Virginia. I don't think West Virginia is as great quickness and offensively a completely new challenge. It's probably the best offense BYU will have faced because they're balanced and they throw it all over the place and they've got speed everywhere on offense. So, a new challenge. I I think this BYU defense is really good, but we're going to see. And then offensively, I think BYU is going to have more success because I, I just don't think West Virginia, in terms of a matchup, creates as many problems for BYU as UCLA and Utah do. It'll be an interesting matchup, that's for sure, and an important game for the BYU offense. So with all of this said about the offense as a whole and what needs to be fixed, is there a situation where you could see Tanner Mangum playing against West Virginia at all? If, if they come out and there's just no momentum, I, you know, I think Ty reserves the right in any game to have that conversation and go, gosh, he's just – if it becomes obvious that he's not playing well and it's on him, which obviously that wasn't the case last week. It's like, man, things are going bad, but – there's this, there's that, there's this, there's that. We can't put that all on. on. If, if they got in a game and they just went, wow, here we are a quarter and a half into this, and this is all on Taysom, or, or enough of it, a high enough percentage of it, I don't think – Ty always reserves the right to – every quarterback coach reserves the right. If your guy's just not going and you got a really, really good guy, then, then you bring him in. Obviously, that wasn't the case last week, and obviously when they watched the film where they really broke it down and looked at every single play and everybody's assignment, they went – Man, there's a lot of blame to go around. So to pull Taysom based on that's not fair. So so that's that that's where they're coming from, and you and you got to support that. And now I've gotten to watch a lot of film, and I'm going, wow, there's a lot of little things that I didn't see just watching it until I watched them over and over again. Where I'm going, they can fix that, they can fix this, they can fix that, they can be more effective. And Spencer, you said it right at the beginning. They don't have to be way more effective as good as this defense is. They just have to be a little bit better. And this season, they only need to be average on offense. And this is a process of moving from a spread team to a team that looks a lot more like Stanford or like a number of NFL teams, like the Seattle Seahawks. And that doesn't happen overnight. They also struggled on offense. Right. So they need to be average (laughs) and and get better throughout the season. And 
you don't just go get offensive linemen, you grow them. So for this type of offense, you get good talent, which I think they really like their young guys, but they, those young guys needed a little bit longer to develop, and, and they will. So we don't have to wait till all the guys are just recruiting get back from missions. They'll be better next year and better the year after that, and then, then they'll really be good. So we have to be a little bit patient. Oh, are you not entertained by the Uncle B, Blaine Fowler? More to come on after further review tonight, 7 Eastern, 5 Mountain Time. What will BYU do to try and mix things up? Maybe we'll see a little bit more of what Taysom and Jamal did. Maybe they'll throw in some more spread packages. Who knows? Blaine, Dave McCann, David Nixon, Brian Logan will discuss all of that tonight. Blaine, thanks for the time, man. Thanks, guys. What will the identity of this BYU football offense be at the end of the season? At Ryben 3. With Taysom, they need to spread out receivers, take linebackers out of position, create running lanes. Up next, the man who helped the the Steve Young write his autobiography, Jeff Benedict, joins us. Welcome back, sports friends. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan in Radio Vision Live on BYU Radio, simulcast on BYU TV. Hey, big match coming up Thursday night, the West Coast Conference opener for the 13th-ranked women's volleyball team. They play Santa Clara. Check it out on BYU TV at 9 Eastern time Thursday night. Twitter question today. What will the identity of this BYU football offense be at the end of the season? Use the hashtag BYUSN to send in your opinions. Joining us now via the Deseret First Credit Union hotline is an award-winning author, Sports Illustrated columnist, and friend of BYU Sports Nation, Jeff Benedict. Jeff, nice to have you back on the show. It's been a while. It has. It's great to be back, guys. You have been a very busy man, no surprise. You generally are. In fact, uh, you have put together a fantastic book on the life of Steve Young called QB, My Life Behind the Spiral. It comes out on October 11th on Steve Young's birthday. What are you doing right now in this whole promotional tour for this book, Jeff? Well, I, this is uh, you know, kind of, a, I think, a monumental uh, process that we've been through. Steve's, uh, you know, done a tremendous job writing his autobiography it's a it's a it's just a very inspiring account of his life i think whether you're a byu fan or a 49er fan or just someone who you know wants to be uplifted and motivated it's a great book and it's a few weeks away from being out so right now what's going on is just a, a lot of build up to uh to when the book's released and steve will be doing some uh some book signings in various parts of the country, Utah, California, New York, I mean, a lot of different cities, actually, and a lot of events, I think, that will will really put the book on a lot of people's radar. Jeff, how did this project originally uh, start? Uh, you know, interestingly enough, it started uh, five years ago. I was writing a cover story on Jabari Parker for Sports Illustrated. This was the one when Jabari was still in high school, and I profiled him when he was in high school, and uh, my editor uh, had asked me if I thought Jabari Parker was going to go on a mission, and I said, you know, I don't, I don't know. He was only 17 at the time, and the decision hadn't been made. And the editor had an idea, which I thought was really interesting, especially looking back on it now, was that he said, you know, it's going to be a big question on our readers' minds. I'd like you to go out and interview some, uh, some of the more prominent Mormon athletes who have had to grapple with that decision over the years, and why don't you start with Steve Young? and Danny Ainge. And so I I called Steve, and I had never met Steve in my life. I had never spoken to him. But the interesting thing is we actually had a, a tremendous amount in common. We were both from Connecticut. We both were in school at roughly the same time. We were both the only Mormons in our community. Um, 
I had looked up to him, you know, like an older brother I didn't have when I was in high school. And uh, even though I wasn't a BYU fan as a kid, I was a huge Steve Young fan. And so to to be interviewing him for the magazine was uh, was an interesting proposition for me, and I I was really looking forward to it. And it was at the end of that phone call, that interview, that he asked me if I had would have an interest in helping him uh, compile his life history. So you had never spoken to him, and then by the end of your first conversation, he's like, "Oh, will you write my life history?" It was, there's there's a little more to it than that, but um, <laughs> meaning that. That is what happened, but there's some more context there to that, um, part of which stems from our roots in Connecticut and um, having a, a common friend mm-hmm. um, who Steve refers to in his book, in his acknowledgement page. But there was a friend that, that I had in Connecticut and that he had from Connecticut, um, and uh, he was instrumental, actually, in in uh, encouraging Steve to potentially work with me. And, mm. and so it's... I didn't know that backstory when I called Steve to do the interview for Sports Illustrated. New York Times bestselling author Jeff Benedict with us on BYU Sports Nation. This is a loaded question, but what did you learn about Steve Young that maybe you didn't already know through writing this autobiography? Well, you'd need to do like a three-hour program for me to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Because, you know, what I've learned in my career is that usually the the assumptions and things that you have about people that are visible and athletes are visible um, are usually wrong and uh, not that I had a lot of assumptions about Steve but as I said I grew up watching him from the time I was uh, a boy um, because I admired the way he lived his life I was more interested in the way he lived his life than the kind of football player he was so but but the fact is Steve is a is a very private reserved person and so my knowledge of him was very superficial and uh, when you whenever you do a biography and I've done a bunch of them now when you actually delve deep into someone's life uh, you learn a tremendous amount of things about a person that that not only you didn't know but pretty much nobody else knows and and in Steve's case those uh, revelations were um, endearing to me in terms of how I felt about him you know I I looked up to him when I started this project, but by the time I was done, um, where I am now, I, I feel more like, uh, you know, he's the older brother I never had. Jeff, this has a lot of personal stuff in it um, from Steve, in particular, you know, more about kind of the anxiety that he had uh, throughout his playing career and, and growing up. Um, was Steve at first hesitant maybe about uh, going into that stuff? Well, I mean, to be honest, Steve was never got into this because he wanted to write a book. He, What he asked me to help him do was write his life history, not for publication, but more as a something personal and private for his family. His, his children have never had the opportunity to see him play football because he, he, uh, he wasn't a father until after he retired. And so it's kind of fascinating that a guy who has one of the most remarkable careers in the history of the NFL, um, and he has, you know, kids who weren't there to, to to be part of that and I think that was his motivation it wasn't to publish a book I the, the idea to publish the book was something that um, was coming more from me not from Steve not from Steve at all but the more I learned about Steve and we were digging into his life and you know really go, I was going through his journal entries and his scrapbooks and interviewing I did you know hundreds of interviews with all kinds of people in his life um, and 
I, I kept saying that, look, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to blow smoke. I'm just saying that I've been in this business for 20 years, and I've never come across a story that's as inspiring as this. And people are going to be blown mm-hmm. away when they read what your life has really been like if you're willing to share it. But, you know, he was, you know, uh, understandably reluctant. And I, I admired that in him, too. And, um, but yes, you're right. The book is very personal. It's, uh, it's a, it's an incredibly intimate account of Steve. And I, my thinking about it as we were working on it was I, I really wanted readers to have the feeling that they were inside his helmet, not just when he's running down the field being chased by defenders, but when he's off the field and he's by himself and he's alone and he's, as he often was, and he's going through what it means to be Steve Young and to be the most visible Mormon athlete in the world, uh, to be playing behind Joe Montana and trying to take that job, to be playing behind Jim McMahon and having all the expectations that are here that nobody really understands what that what that's like. And the idea of an autobiography is to try to to give readers that experience of what it is like to be you. And that's that's a tall order. Um, and it's it's uh, amazing that he's done it. Jeff, do you have a story in it that sticks out that you can share with our listeners right now that uh, might really encourage them to go out and, and yeah. purchase this book I, and, and look into it some more? I do. I mean, my favorite stories from Steve's life, and this is just because of where I'm from, my favorite stories and the favorite chapters to write were the ones from his childhood, uh, most of which took place in Greenwich, Connecticut. And one of my favorite stories is uh, he was assigned by his bishop when he was a young teenager, or, you know, uh, 16 or 17, to, to make some visits to a girl who was in a hospital in Connecticut with a life-threatening illness. That, uh, and she was alone. She'd come from the West, and uh, she didn't have any family there. And so Steve was assigned to go, and he, he made those visits. And she, he became, like, the only friend that she had, and she knew she was going to die. And uh, there's this incredibly poignant moment where Steve's in the hospital room alone with her, and she's telling him that she knows she's going to go. And he's, he's, you know, trying to keep it together and keep her together. And he, he gets very detailed in that account of what that was like. And she does pass away, in fact, that night. Um, and and I, when I was working on that particular scene with him in the hospital room with the doctor and the nurses and this girl, to me it was just an incredibly uh, just window into the life of this young man who most people know is a great football player but seeing the building blocks in his boyhood it it really helps explain why and how he became the kind of leader he was on the field and those are the stories that people don't know about steve young because they've never been told that's powerful stuff and uh there there was another more light-hearted story uh where i guess when he (laughs) He was the original Harry Potter. He was living under the stairwell or something, sleeping there at night at his sister's house or something. Can you uh, clue us in on that one? You guys are. Yeah, I'm glad to see that you guys read the uh, advanced copy because that is one of that. That's a story about when uh, Steve was uh, playing for the 49ers and he was <laughs> attending law school at BYU. <laughs> and um, it's a great. I mean, that whole period of time is just a fantastic. Uh, some of those stories are absolutely you know, knee-smacking funny um, when you're reading about him. And that's one of the things I like about him is Steve is a very serious person, 
but he's also got a, a fantastic sense of humor and tends to make people smile and laugh, and I think that's why people like to be around him. Jeff Benedict, award-winning author with us on BYU Sports Nation, uh, is set to release QB, My Life Behind the Spiral, autobiography for Steve Young on October 11th. Jeff, uh, when and where will this book be available to all fans across BYU Sports Nation and to readers across the country? Uh, the book will be be available everywhere October 11th. Uh, now you can pre-order the book on Amazon. It's, um, it's already up there and uh, very visible there. Um, I've also got a new uh, Instagram page called Author Jeff Benedict, and starting October 11th, I'll be uh, putting up uh, video clips and images from uh, Steve's uh, book tour that he'll be doing starting in New York on the 11th, and uh, it'll give fans a way to to sort of follow him uh, through the tour. Jeff, fantastic work as always. Uh, We look forward to seeing this book just absolutely kill it on the market, and uh, we appreciate the insight to what goes into a major, major project like this. Well, thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure to be on your show. Jeff Benedict on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. While you have marked October 11th as the release date for the book, the companion film to the book is going to be released on the NFL Network on October 7th. So there will be a video version of that. I know BYU fans are going to want to watch this. Really good stuff. This project's been in work for a long time. Would you rather Taysom Hill throw the ball all over the field or run like a crazy man? That's next on BYU Sports Nation. BYU Sports Nation presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan live from Studio B. If you miss an episode of BYUSN Live, the rebroadcast airs weeknights right here on BYU TV starting at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. 4 p.m. Mountain, you know what to do. And tonight, after the rebroadcast, you can watch after further review, 7 Eastern Time. Dave, Blaine, Brian, David will break down BYU and UCLA, get you ready for Brigham versus the Mountaineers. What will the identity of this BYU offense be at the end of the season? At Kugbaka. Sick nasty. Says, I expect BYU's offense, hang on a second, let me put these whoa, on whoa, first. Whoa, 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 yeah, yeah. To Move be a top alert. 25 Move offense. Whoa! Taysom is too athletic. He will get better at running Ty Detmer's schemes. A top 25 offense would be legit. They'd, they'd have to uh, really do some work here. Yeah, to go, to it go could from, happen. It's not likely, but it could happen. Through three games, here's what's going to be difficult. They're going to need to put up astronomical numbers because they've gotten yeah. up to such a slow start. Here's the, here's the deal. This is the To me, this is the toughest schedule top to bottom in terms of name and quality programs BYU's played. BYU's played higher-ranked teams and more of them in different seasons. But in terms of no break until, like, week 10, this is the toughest in that way. Utah is now ranked in the AP Top 25. We'll see what happens with UCLA, who was (laughs) preseason number 16. Michigan State's 8. Yeah. (laughs) Michigan State is ranked number 8. BYU in East Lansing in ah. mid-October. Boise State. Ah. It's time to Bring play it Would You Rather. It's Would You Rather on BYU Sports Nation. Pretty self-explanatory. We give you two situations. You got to pick one. Number one. As always, I like to be as diabetical, diabolical as possible. On this. Diabetical? So we'll start number one. Or diabetical, you know, <laughs> whatever. Hey, would you rather win 3-0 or lose 42-40 on Saturday against West Virginia? I brought this up yesterday as a potential would you rather. 
I always want to win. Yes! Win 3-0. I don't care what the score is, just win! Ask Utah in 2003 if that was awesome or not. To lose 42-40 would mean that the offense wakes up. So there would be some value there. But guess what? There's only, there's only one value. It's winning. Even if it were like 10-7 to or 13-10 to or whatever, 17-16, just win. 17-16 would be like the last three weeks. Yes, just <laughs> win. It doesn't matter what the score yes, is. Al Davis, rest in peace. Just win, baby. Yeah. Let's go. Yes, yeah, so a win all the time. Number two. <laughs> A reference to Al Davis will give Spencer the win on that one. Thank you. I made the reference. Oh. You, said, you said Al Davis, but I said the right quote. Just win, baby. Okay, you both get a point. Uh, <laughs> would you rather have Taysom Hill pass for 300 yards or rush for 100 yards? Pass for 300 yards. I think it would do more for the BYU offense at this point, especially um, if he ran for 300 because Jamal Williams is there. Jamal Williams uh, needs to have more than 28 rush yards on 14 carries, right? This, this offensive line – uh, needs to hook a brother up. But 300 yards, I think, would do a lot more. If Taysom Hill is running for 100 yards, BYU is winning the football game. So I'd rather have him run for 100 yards. Seriously, I, th- I don't think that they would ever lose a game where Taysom Hill runs for 100 plus. Ooh. Okay. In this offense? Well, with the way things are right now? Seven at Utah. They, he didn't run for 100, did he? I know. And they lost by one. 300 would do a lot more for the offense. I'm not saying that wouldn't. I'm just saying if we're talking about wins and losses, if Taysom Hill runs for over 100 yards. I know. That's I, what I'm talking about. I, I can hear you. I don't think BYU would lose a game. So I'm looking up if he's BYU's I'm not saying he hasn't game. in the past. I'm saying right now, in the way the offense is right now, if, they, if he runs for 100 yards, they are gashing a defense. Gashing a defense. I don't feel like they gashed Utah rushing the ball, and he was only 13 yards away. He was all of their offense with his feet against Utah. Yeah, and it didn't. It wasn't good enough. It wasn't a hundred, though. Yeah. Guess what? If he had run for ninety-two or whatever it was, they win the game. <laughs> it would have been ninety, three <laughs> yards not, more. This is what I'm saying, man. Three hundred, baby. Number three, last one. Let's have some fun. Would you rather have to tackle Jamal Williams one-on-one or get tackled by Butch? What is neither, Alex? This one's so easy. Uh, Jamal Williams, because I could just dive out of the way and save my uh, AC joint at that point. Butch Pau, no. No, I could have some serious damage, and then he's too nice about it. I'd run, After. A, I'd run a 4-9-40 if Butch Pau were chasing You'd me. You'd run a 4-3-40, man. I would run a 4-9-40. I'm confident I would run a 4-9-40 if Butch Pau were chasing me. He's, he's a quick sucker, too, I'm man. not saying he's not fast. I'm just saying it would really encourage me to utilize every ounce of speed that is left in oh this. Oh, my gosh, yeah. <laughs> Vanilla-aged. Or vanilla. <laughs> Vanilla-aged. It's, it's, been, it's been aged for so yes, long. The vanilla is excellent. Yeah. Yes, middle-aged vanilla man body. That's what I was trying to get. We might as well just call it vanilla-aged, right? We're vanilla-aged men. You always lost two games in which Taysom's run for over 100. They were in the past. Oh, okay. Up next, the Cougar Whip Around. Woo! Notre Dame and Washington. BYU Sports Nation presented in part by DexterLaw.com. Help when you need it both. With women, Farmer Friend. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around. At Monday's press conference, Kalani Sitake said Taysom Hill is the starter. Cougars in the NFL. Paul Lasikai had a carry for a first down last night and a key block for the Chicago Bears at the goal line during Monday Night Football. Attaboy, Paul. Volleyball. Cougars dropped four spots in the NCAA, uh, 
ABCA rankings to number 13. The Cougars open up West Coast Conference play Thursday against Santa Clara, 9 Eastern time on BYU TV. Golf. The women's team has a two-stroke lead, 14 over overall. After the first round of the Spartan Invitational in San Jose, California, junior Kendra Dalton leads the way at three under. Future guest, West Virginia head coach Dana Holgerson and James the Mormon. He's going to tell us why. We're going to talk to Coach Holgerson about why he likes BYU's fit in the Big 12, what he thinks they bring to the conference. Mm -hmm. And we'll get into what he does to game plan against BYU and Taysom Hill, an offense that has struggled this year, but he knows is capable of big things because of what they've done in the past. Okay, during the break, we had two minutes, so we looked up some things. Uh, Taysom Hill has rushed for over 100 yards eight times, and BYU is 6-2 and two in those games. Yes. Taysom Hill has thrown for over 300, count them, one, two, three times, and BYU is 3-0. and oh. Interesting, right? I, I'm kind of shocked that he's only I, gone 300, 300 pass yards three times. 2012, did never do it. He did it against Boise State his sophomore year, uh, Houston, and then uh, he did it against Connecticut in, uh, in his junior year. Three times? Yeah. Wow. Yes. And then Nebraska, he was, on, he was going. He was go, on pace. He was, was going to go 300-plus yeah. against Nebraska. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Only three times, right? So when he throws for 300, that's a great day, right? To me, that has a, that's why I that's say a 300. Diff, it's a different I offense, though. It's a different offense. It has offense. a bigger impact on the game. Yeah, I, I don't – we talked about this before the season. The volume of plays just isn't going to be there to have the kind of yardage that you're used to seeing. Here's the deal, though. Can you get points? Can you get enough points? Like if BYU gets into 30s with this offense, that's different. Our rise and shout brought to you by Dexter and Dexter help when you need it most. DexterLaw.com. Jaron. Bob Bolsley. What will the identity of this BYU offense be at the end of the season? Our elite tweet of the day from at Sad Pizza One. Hopefully, what? an effective pro style offense to be reckoned with. Yes. The reckoning. Thanks to Blaine Fowler, Jeff Benedict, and everyone on our crew. Conversation continues 24-7 on Twitter. Hashtag BYUSN. Download the podcast on iTunes and the TuneIn app. For Jerem, I'm Spencer. Shout out to Michael Nay. We will see you tomorrow. West Virginia!